0: 101.9 High FM. 101.9. 101.9
1: High FM. 101.9 High
0: FM. It is 101.9. 101.9 High FM. High FM. High FM. High FM. I've got the power. Unleashing 101.9 megahertz of power. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome to the show uh On this Monday, slightly load-shedded morning uh, As I was starting the show, the whole studio went out So uh, I hope that uh, if you're listening to this, you are listening to this Because uh, maybe you're not, because it might have been load-shedded uh, What can you do? These things do happen, so uh, I do hope you're listening Uh Yeah, how's it been going with you? I've been enjoying life It's good to be in February Uh Who watched the State of the Nation Address? Uh, it was interesting, hey? It was very, very interesting. Uh, you've got all these different things going on. I have to say, what was really nice for me about the State of the Nation address is that for once in a very long time, you could just disagree with the president without him being like, you know, an idiot or people screaming or Madam Chairing or any of this nonsense that we normally have to deal with with the State of the Nation. Uh, you know, there was lots to disagree with. Uh, I'm personally still very worried about how they're going to treat the land issue in this country, what they're going to do about ESCOM, uh, but... But the speech was at least you could feel like there was an adult in the room. Uh, 80% of it had to do with the economy. Uh, 20% of it had to do with education. And those are two very important uh you know, priorities. Yes, there there were issues. You know, the NHI, I'm not really sure if that's so good for our country, uh, as I said. So, uh, you know, at least it was focused on the right things, even if you disagreed with it. Uh, and that was very nice to see. And I was also ha- very gratified to see that with this normal nonsense uh, that we have with uh, you know, using the the Palestine Israeli issue uh, to to score political points didn't come up, which normally does. So you can disagree with the president, but at least you have the feeling that uh, he he actually thought about the speech, as opposed to just talking uh, complete rubbish. So that was that was excellent. The one aspect that I do have to say did worry me the most, uh, and I was like very concerned about this because. Uh, I was kind of hoping that he would address this, uh, and he didn't. So with that, I'm going to have to take him out on uh, is Valentine's Day. Uh, I was kind of hoping that the president would just ban Valentine's Day entirely. Uh, I think it's the stupidest holiday in the world, uh, and it's even worse that they impose it on kids. Uh, you know, okay, you probably went to a Jewish school if you're listening to this show, but uh, you know, I didn't. I went to a government school, and they used to use Valentine's Day as a way of. I, I think they ran out of fundraising ideas and so they used to sell these stupid chocolate hearts and roses and whatever. And I just think it put like such unnecessary pressure on kids, uh, to, to get, uh, involved in something which they could really just have waited for, uh, and enjoyed. And I think it, it really, uh, you know, just sets all sorts of strange expectations for children, uh, and, and gives them very strange ideas early on, uh, about these sorts of, of matters. So, uh, yeah, I was hoping the president would just ban Valentine's Day entirely. Alas. He didn't. Uh, so now we have to deal with it this week. So uh, if anybody uh has a view on this, I actually haven't seen that much Valentine's Day advertising, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it hasn't really been a thing. Maybe people are still Black monday out. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you. Jude, we just ban Valentine's Day. This is actually the question I have for Chai FM listeners today. WhatsApp us 0618951019. 0618951019. You can also SMS us, 34519. We take tweets at Chai FM uh, and even emails on air at com. We're very happy to discuss whatever you like, but especially the banning of Valentine's Day. Now, besides that, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, hopefully at the end we're we'll going to be talking a little bit about this clover milk debacle that's going on at the moment. Uh, interesting. Durko, the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. Not normally the kind of people who you expect would be getting involved in something like this. They had something to say, so uh that was being reported over the weekend. We're going to talk about that. Uh also I want to chat about dual citizenship in relation to Lithuania. Very interesting article in the Jewish Report this week on that topic. So hopefully we'll get to talk about both of those. But just before we take a break, uh, our first guest on the line today is going to be Gilad Holpern. Uh, and he is a guy from Israel and he does... Uh, podcasts, something called the Tel Aviv Review. So we're going to be chatting to him, finding out about the podcast and uh, just getting an idea about what he's going on in his pro- projects. So that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it already. Stick around. He's awesome. Uh Yeah, let's take a short break and we'll be back just after this. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 IFM. When you are Finish listening to this show, okay? And you finish listening to Kathy, and you finish listening to Howard, and you're just basically, you know, so much full of high FM that you have to listen to something else Jewish-related. Uh, I would like to suggest that perhaps you could listen to our next guest. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Gilad Halpern, and he runs a podcast called the Tel Aviv Review, and it's a a podcast that I would say is for people who like ideas, they like debate, they like intellectual. Arguments and, and Gilad really has a knack for choosing all the best Jewish intellectuals you've never heard of uh, And all sorts of topics that you've never heard of uh, as well Whether it's Jewish territorialism uh, in the 19th century Or the Israeli-Palestinian issue Or genealogical stuff Or really anything you can imagine uh, Gilad has managed to find someone who he'll do a great interview with And I, and I really love uh, listening uh, to him Uh, I I regularly tune into his podcast. And I also like to know that when I'm finished with it, not only... Will I be more informed? But I'll probably be slightly uh, annoyed as well, uh, or, because I often disagree with him, and uh, he really likes that. He actually puts that in the in the in the podcast that if you're not slightly annoyed, then he's not doing his job. Uh, he also has done some stuff on South Africa as well. So if you're interested in that, he's got a few podcasts on that. So we thought we'd bring him onto the show, chat to him, see what he's up to, and uh, you know, find out generally what's going down in the thinking people of Tel Aviv. Gilad, welcome to the New Blue Review.
1: How's it Benji? How are you?
0: How's it? Yeah, you see, he's been practicing. Very, very good. Uh, Well done. (laughs) (laughs) So Gillette, first of all, uh, you know, before we get into it, what started you on on TLV1? Tell people a little bit about that, because I think it is, uh, even for Israelis, a bit of a, a new concept, an internet radio station.
1: It is indeed. Um, the review, uh, The uh, TLV1 uh, is Israel's first and now only English language radio station and it's entirely online. It started in 2013 amid a wave of other um, English language uh, news media or media outlets in general uh, in Israel going uh, online. There's been a lot a lot of newspapers and news sites uh, doing that, uh, you know, to name just a few, the Jerusalem Post, Haaretz, uh, YNET and many others. And there were a few, uh, television stations doing the same like I-24 News that you might have heard about. And there was no radio, st- there were no radio stations, uh, doing that. And then, I mean, there was this lacuna, uh, that needed filling. And uh, the founders of uh, TLV1, um, the Shelem family, um, started and recruited all sorts of journalists, uh, such as myself. I had been working for um, Harris newspaper and uh, Wynet for about a decade before. And uh, they brought me on to start uh, to set up the News and Current Affairs division. Uh, now I was trying, starting to get uh, a bit um, tired of uh, of doing the news. So I told the program director that I wanted something for the neshama, for the soul. And I said I want to do a podcast about books and ideas. Just, so she said, Yeah, why not? Why don't you do it? And then, then I started it, and it was like a side thing for a while. And then the news and current affairs division just closed down because uh, it was scaled down for. It was just too too costly to operate. And then the television review started becoming my main occupation from sighting. It really became the focus of my journalistic work, uh, on, uh, on TLV one. And it's it also, it's evolved uh, quite a bit. Um, it started as, uh, a rather short. Discussions with all sorts of people, including artists and writers, and just you know, random interesting people. And by short, I mean 12 to 15 minutes. That's relatively long, but it's still short compared to what we do now. And now we're talking about like 30 to 40 minutes of in-depth interviews with uh, with researchers, with writers, and and also another addition that I should mention is the my my co-host, Alice Hendlin. Uh, who uh, whom I brought on about uh, two years ago, and we've been co-hosting the podcast ever since.
0: Very, very interesting, Gilad. Uh, I want to talk to you more about this. We're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and speak to Gilad Halpern about uh, English radio in Israel. The best part of your day, at the heart of your community, all the talk, all the music, all the news. KHN. <laughs> KFM, I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. We've got online Gilad Holpern. He is from the Tel Aviv Review, uh, and uh, he's talking to us today about what he does and uh, journalism in Israel. Uh, amongst other things. We were chatting before the break about, uh, radio, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, this gap that, that TLV1 was trying to fill. It's quite interesting because there was a South African entrepreneur at one point who set up an English speaking radio station in Israel, uh, and it, it was deliberate in that it wanted to, to talk to both the Israelis and the Palestinians. And it never really worked. And a lot of people said, well, just mm-hmm. because there's not a market for English language, uh media in Israel it's uh, you know Hebrew is the main language probably then Russian probably then French even these days uh, are there enough english people to to sustain the you know the kind of the kind of stuff that you guys are trying to do
1: yeah you're talking about RAM FM yeah, yeah that's uh, right that's your right. point um yeah that was a, a long time ago and there's one factor that really changed everything and that is something that you may have heard about it's called the internet i I've heard um, about it. Yes. RAM FM uh and other classic uh, um, media um outlets in Israel were pretty um low tech. And uh what TLV one does is podcasts that are all online and can and, and that gives us two major advantages compared to uh to radio per se one is that actually three one is that it's not uh, um geographically limited i mean with transmitters there's like the the way the the radio waves you know they go uh, uh, the, so far that it, they can go um the other one is that it's a lot cheaper because you don't have to buy the transmitters and you don't have to apply for licenses and stuff like that at uh costs a lot. All you have to do is just, you know, buy um, an online domain and and post your stuff online. And the third thing is that um, it's uh, so-called audio on demand, right? You can just download the podcast whenever you want and listen to it whenever you're ready. I mean, back in the day when, I don't know, you went on the radio and you told all your friends, okay, stop whatever you're doing at Friday at 11.15. I'm going to be on the radio. Tune in. Uh, and that's no longer the case. I mean, you can just listen whenever you want. And I think that's given uh, radio, uh, especially um, English language radio, a huge boost, because I can tell you about my own podcast that the uh, about between two thirds and three quarters of my listeners are not even in Israel, predominantly in North America. Where there is, a, yeah, where, where the, this is whether the English language is king.
0: Yeah, I mean that was what I was going to ask. Is that you know I think for a long time newspapers filled the role of kind of translator, if you like, between Israel and the uh, certainly the English diaspora. You think you talk about the Jerusalem Post or the Times of Israel. Uh, you know, it was very much the written word, and and obviously there's been a lot of. A toing and froing between the diaspora and Israel on all sorts of issues over the last couple of years, uh, and and do you find that that your, I mean the station as a whole, but your program in particular, uh, is acting as a a kind of a bridge, or or, or that the conversations, rather, that the diaspora is uh, is interested in, is, is sort of leeching into into your programming as well on the Israel side.
1: Um, I would say so, indeed. I think, well, uh, it's not to undermine what the press still does. I mean, this, uh, the uh, um, Jerusalem Post and the Times of Israel and all the others are still uh, uh, operating as a major um, articulating link between Israel and the diaspora. Uh, what I do is slightly different because it's more, it's less about the news and more about ideas and other facets of, uh, of Israel that are less uh, discussed in the English language. Media and so, and what I also do, and I say that with with great regret, because as you said, I often annoy you, and part of it is probably my political views on Israel. Uh, that uh, I, um, I, I, what I do is is soft hasbara. Uh, I show the multitude of uh, opinions and the buzzing democracy that Israel is uh, to the world, and I think that's uh, also a, a, a you know some some people can. Politicize it or look at it as you know as, as some sort of tool to uh, um, you know combat BDS with and what have you, but I just see it as a um, perfectly intellectual exercise to uh, look at really the the richness of uh, of ideas of research of uh, interesting people uh, going about this country and you know showcasing it to the world
0: do you think that as english speakers uh i mean you you i, th- you, I think you speak french as well as uh, obviously mm-hmm. hebrew and english but uh, do you think that english speakers in general miss out on a large chunk of the conversation in israel because it just it, you know it it happens in hebrew uh, and a lot of it doesn't get translated or uh, doesn't make it uh, into the newspapers and then so you've got a large chunk of the jewish world uh, which just isn't really tuned in to what Israelis are thinking and and what the, the sort of the discussion really is.
1: I, I think so. I wouldn't say entirely, but uh, to a great degree, English speakers are less informed than Israelis. I don't think it's because of the language barrier. I just think it's because they don't live here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just mu- just as much as you know less about a foreign country than your own country, it applies even to a country you care a lot about and are very interested in, which for many uh, diaspora Jews Israel is. Uh, I think that, you know, part of my role also is to try and... You know, I don't know if "diffuse" is the right word, but like perhaps open the uh, channels, enrich, yeah, in, in, enrich this rather um, um, narrow vision that many of them have of Israel, and not 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 because of any malice of any sort. It's just that they're not sufficiently sufficiently informed. Mm.
0: And it's interesting because this has been. In, in English media, but I think in Israeli media in general. And here, you know, I've, I've had discussions on this show just in the last few weeks about people who are watching Israeli shows on Netflix, uh, and, and obviously stations like yourself and books and, and all sorts of things. And, and you know, we, I want to chat to you more about that side of things as well. But there is mm-hmm. kind of been a flowering of Israeli culture, uh, in, in the last few years that has been accessible suddenly to the diaspora in a way that I don't think was available before and a lot of israelis uh, and people who are thinking about jewish peoplehood and this kind of thing uh, are saying well you know maybe israeli culture in whatever form whether it's hebrew or english or or written or or, or audio or visual uh, is is one way of also helping to uh, you know to to i don't know say combat assimilation per se but but actually kind of help create jewish identity for people all over all over the world uh, in a way that probably wasn't there before
1: yeah, um, I, I think it's it's really a lot more a lot less ideological than that. Mm. I think that, for example, Israeli TV is doing a lot better around the world today. I, you're probably thinking about Fauda and uh, you know Chaturfim. Uh, um, uh, what is it called in English? I forget. Uh, uh, all sorts of uh, um, TV series that uh, were were sold to uh, big. Um, networks uh, around the world and I think the reason is not because there's more interest in it well there is now um, but because uh, Israeli TV has just got better uh, there's more money uh, um, to for, for productions the standards have uh, risen uh, uh, considerably um, Israeli TV now is world class which it wasn't until very recently and it's the same with uh Israeli literature uh you know you you had the the big three novelists uh, uh Amos Oz uh, David Grossman and Abraham B Yehoshua who were like you know the the trio that uh, um controlled i don't know an overwhelming market share of uh, uh Israeli translations into English and now you have plenty of younger and in my view much better uh, Novelist and those two um, who are uh, doing very well around the world. Um, I think, you know, by implication, it really enriches the view of of Israel around the world. But I don't think it's I don't think it's really ideological. It's just better and more interesting, and people react react accordingly.
0: You're listening to 101.9 kfm I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. We're talking to Gilad Holpen today. If you want to ask him any questions, uh, please, by all means, you can WhatsApp us on 61 1019 You can SMS us on 34519. Tweet us at highfm, uh or send us an email on com. We're chatting all things Israel, literature, culture, uh, really whatever you like. I mean, Gilad, what do you think has... Has been responsible for the change. I mean, I'll give you two examples that really stand out for me as being sort of Israeli culture that wouldn't have been there, say, ten years ago. The one, for, the one is this guy Naz Daly, who I'm sure you know, but if the listeners don't know him, mm-hmm. he's basically an Israeli Arab guy uh, who who goes all around the world, who made himself famous filming videos for one minute uh, and like really interesting stories and, and digs up stuff. I don't think he's particularly Zionist. I think he lives in California now or something, but he's not like sort of. Uh, anti zionist and i 'm not sure that uh, that he he could have emerged from too many other places in the Middle East. I think that the israeli context was was important for him uh, and then the other one of course is netta and uh, and and eurovision now here 's a song which is completely in English. Uh, I think it has one word that isn 't English, and that 's a sort of Arab word which is Used as a colloquial term in in street Hebrew in Israel, uh, and yet again, this is like a quintessentially—it's definitely something Israeli about what Neta brings to, to Eurovision. And none of this is people singing Hatikva, doing horrors, you know, classic Zionist culture as you might have thought about it uh, even ten or twenty years ago. Uh, and it's suddenly been this big change. Uh, and so I, I'm interested in what you think maybe has brought this about, you know, what what is creating this change that we're seeing in Israeli society at the moment.
1: Well, I think it's mainly a generational change, and, I mean, that's what young people are interested in. Neta and Naz are, I think, in their 20s, or even early 20s, and they are really uh, cultural representatives of uh, of a very young generation that can, um, I think, um, correspond or perhaps communicate with the younger generation of diaspora Jews abroad um i also think that it's also thanks to the fact that uh, in the internet age everything is unmediated and back in the day uh i don't know if 10 or 20 years ago perhaps even more but all the horrors and hadikvas and you know the the um wooden israel stuff uh would have um would have come through mediators through educators through, I don't know, Jewish agency envoys and people who were trained in a certain way to bring a certain message to the diaspora. Now, that centralized message in general, not just, you know, in the Israel diaspora context, but also, you know, look at how politicians communicate now with the people. Uh, There's no centralized message anymore. And there the are many downsides to it because they, I don't know, there's politicians on Twitter, falsehoods. for example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's uh, falsehoods and spins and it's a lot, uh, a lot easier to peddle, um, uh, you know, um, things with uh, vested interest in them. Mm. But, uh, the upside of it is that there's a, a bit for everyone to choose from. Yeah, and I think that, uh, that, that those cultural um, cultural products that you just mentioned are the, the, perhaps the prime uh, example of that.
0: Now, you decided at some point that uh, radio wasn't only for you, uh, and you wanted to move away from the audio side of things and expand. Uh, and so you decided to start a new literature project, uh, the Tel Aviv uh, Review of Books. Uh, what, what, did, what kind of pushed you in that direction? Why did you decide to, to start with that?
1: Well, the the story is that one of my co-editors of the magazine—it's a, it's, a, it's actually a, qu- a quarterly magazine, the Television Review of Books. Um, the story is that one of my uh, co-editors is a bad listener, and he said, <laughs> "Well, I look at all this stuff that you post about your uh, your podcast on Facebook, but I never I never quite got into podcasts. I never got round to I never get around to listening to it. I need." something written before me. And he said, why don't we start a magazine? And I say, said, why don't we? And again, there's a gap that needed uh, filling. Um, I think what really tipped the balance for us was that um, Harris newspaper, the English edition, closed down the, the uh, book section. That was about two years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And we found that there was very 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 few uh very few platforms for discussions of uh literature and books and ideas in written form in English uh about Israel so we we decided to to launch this uh, quarterly magazine that's entirely online you can uh, uh find it at tarb.co.il uh, that's the Tel Aviv Review of Books and it has all sorts of um, Discussions about uh, culture and books and, and ideas, all with an Israeli um, angle to them. Uh, it's uh, politics, it's um, um, literature, we have literary essays, we have uh, uh, book reviews, we have uh, original fiction, we have poetry. Um, yeah, and um, the first issue just came, came out uh, just over a month ago, and there's another one in the works right now. Hopefully uh it will come out just before Pesach.
0: Now for for both these projects that you're working on, Tel Aviv Review and uh and the Tel Aviv Review of Books, you know, you're talking about quote unquote sort of high culture, right? The the really uh you know getting into the weeds of, of different ideas and thinking and one of the big issues has been in the last few years, how do you pay for it? Right, Uh, there's a reason why Haaretz closed down its book section. It's a real reason why Ram uh, as a radio station closed down. Uh, And because unless you Google or Facebook finding funding for uh, media-related projects, especially longer-form thinking projects, uh, I think has become increasingly difficult. So I'm quite interested to hear, you know, what what are the approaches that are people using to try and find a way to make this uh, sustainable? Because obviously, you know, intelligent people want to take their time to write something for you. Then they, 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 you know, that's time that they could be spent making money do, doing something else.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, um, we are of the opinion that everyone uh, writing, every contributor, has to get paid for or remunerated for the work. This is something that not every publication. Believes in. I mean, th- this is just a preliminary uh, comment. Yes, you are. You are absolutely right. I mean, it's it, it's become increasingly difficult to monetize the media. I mean, it's no secret that the big newspapers around the world um, uh, have sustained huge um, losses, huge blows to their financial robustness. Um and this is uh not very long after you know the newspaper media used to be a very lucrative business. you know all the press barons of the day were some of the richest people around uh, this is uh not not the case anymore and has been for a long time now um i I think and I see in the way i work uh, uh that um it's, it's slightly, um, s- slowly but surely diverting from a commercial model to a more philanthropic model. Uh, people ask me, why didn't you get advertisers for your podcast or for your magazine? And, you know, the answer is that it's just not sustainable. Uh, because first of all, there's very few people wanting to advertise. Uh, I know if, take for example, if you had Um, if, if you were the publisher of a local newspaper, I don't know, in rural South Africa somewhere in a mid, mid mid-sized town in South Africa. So all you knew exactly who your advertisers were and who your readers were, right? If you had a shop or a service, a local, local service, you could go to the local newspaper, um, run uh, a buy advertising space and then you would be able to target your potential potential clientele pretty easily now because we broadcast to the world and we have um several quality uh, I'd say around 20,000 listeners around around the world uh it's very different um difficult to get someone to advertise to this very heterogene- heterogeneous heterogeneous um, crowd, and also I mean twenty thousand is a pretty good number for an independent podcast but it's it's not nearly it's not nearly enough to justify a sizable uh, investment, so what we do we just go to um um, organizations and institutions, and think tanks, and you know, people who are perhaps like-minded or looking at high culture and ideas just like us. And in our case, it's the Van Leer Jerusalem Institute or the Israel Democracy Institute that we've been working with for for, for quite some time now. And we um, work in tandem with them in in um we we they give us their sponsorship and in exchange we highlight um some of their um some of their content and i have to say and probably your listeners ask themselves whether there's any kind of editorial intervention on, on their part and of course it has to be said that uh despite the fact that they uh, they sponsor the the podcast they still um, complete editorial in, in independence uh, for us as uh, as the editors, but that's also not new. I mean, back in the day when I don't know a big conglomerate published in a newspaper, of course nobody thought, or at least they expected them not to uh, not to interfere e- editorially. So that I mean the the professionalism, I hope
0: remains. Absolutely. We're talking to Gilad Halpern today of the Tel Aviv Review and we'll take a short break and we'll come back. We'll be chatting to him further. Uh,
1: stay relevant and <laughs> this is
0: High FM. So listen, you need to catch Johanitain Razel and Alex Clare live in concert at the opening and closing of Sinai Encore. Uh, Rosal has won the Singer of the Year, Song of the Year, and Song of the Decade, and uh, Claire has won five World Music Award nominations. Uh, hit number seven on the US Billboard Hot 100 and made number four on the UK Chart Singles. Uh, we're talking about bona fide rock stars, uh, and it's going to be a night not fair to be forgotten. So you don't want to mu- don't want to miss it. Book now at Sinai-Indaba.co.za or at CompuTicket, and be there on the second and third of March. You're listening to The New Blue Review. Uh, I'm uh, Benji Schulman and we're talking today to uh Gilad Halpern. He is from the Tel Aviv Review and uh he's chatting to us about some of the work that he's doing and what it is uh you know what it is like uh to to be in the media space in Israel and uh, produce independently which I think is quite uh, interesting and not so different from even what we do on the station here. Uh, in fact, we have an SMS in. Uh thank you so much. Uh It's coming from Sean. Sean says, very interesting host and topic. Uh, I'm a non-Jewish South African and follow all Israeli media uh, and will be definitely following. Uh, this one. So, uh, thank you so much for letting us know, Sean. Uh, yeah, certainly go have a look. And if uh, you're interested, uh, if anyone else is interested, you can WhatsApp us on 0618951019. You can SMS us on 34519. Happy to hear anything further from you. Uh, there you go, Gilad. Now you have twenty thousand and one listeners. And one uh, from, exactly. from, from, from <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> thank you, Sean. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, Gilad, you, you 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 said earlier uh, that you're you know interested in some of the uh new people who are pitching up on the Israeli cultural scene, you know, the big three. What authors should South Africans be looking out for uh when it comes to to Israeli authors? Who who should they be reading uh, that's interesting and new and, and brings a different voice?
1: Haha, that's a good question. Um, my personal favorite I think is Dorit Rabinian. Um, who's uh, a novelist in her 40s? She started pretty young, so she she's been around for a long time. And her latest book uh, was somewhat of a controversy in in Israel. It's called the English title is called All the Rivers, and essentially it's a love story between an Israeli woman and a Palestinian man in New York in the early 2000s. And it was controversial in Israel because it was taken off the, uh, school curriculum, I think from middle school, perhaps high school, uh, because it quote unquote, quote, um, promoted assimilation. Uh, and, uh, that was a big controversy because the minister in charge of that was a religious minister, uh, who has a problem with, uh, the concept of a love affair between an Israeli and a Palestinian uh but the book itself regard you know it has its own political undertones or overtones but i think it's a beautiful piece of of literature um another novelist who's been uh doing very well and i'm sad to say that i have yet to read her books but she she's been getting rave reviews uh in in america i mean in the new york times and other very prestigious um publications um it's is called Ayelet Gunda. G U N D A R Goshen, um, uh, who's uh, a young um, young novelist. Actually, she she went to school with me. She was a year below me, and now she's uh, she's this uh, international megastar. Another um, a novelist that I really like uh, is very interesting. His name is Moshe Sakhal, Sakal S A K A L. And he's written a book now that's also doing pretty well called The Diamond Setter, which is a, a, a love, tr- a gay love triangle, again with a Middle East, Middle Eastern sort of angle. Um it's characterized, uh, ca- categorized uh, as a, a, a new, kind of new subgenre called um, queer Middle East. Uh, so it's about Middle Eastern young men Engaging in um, homosexual relationships, the book itself is about a, uh, a love story between a Syrian refugee that somehow makes his uh, um, way into Israel with um, a diamond setter with a with a professional you know uh, p- person. Uh, um, designer of of jewelry, um, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's a lot a lot going on, and and really from very different and and interesting angles. I'm I'm, I'm really optimistic about uh, the way Israeli literature is going.
0: Yeah, that uh, certainly sounds like something you wouldn't uh, find anywhere else, so that's worth worth having a look at those. And just before we end, you know, I I can't let you get away with uh, with not answering a question like this uh, on a show like (laughs) this at a time like this. But, you know, in April, we're having a big election. Uh, Is uh, Bibi still going to be the President of, uh, or the Prime Minister of Israel? Well, um, it's a good thing that it's on
1: tape because in about two months' time you can come back and show me why I'm wrong. <laughs> Whatever I'm, I'm going to say now. Um, okay, so this, here is my prediction. Um, I think that whether he wins the elections or not and he looks set to win them, uh he's finished. And I think that uh he is uh, up to his neck in corruption charges for a long time now but it seems like the the noose is tightening and there's going to be uh, an indictment or at least three cases of uh, three counts of corruption and bribery and others uh, brought before him and there's, I don't see a way where uh, a, someone who has to such a an arduous legal battle to fight can um lead uh the country at, at the same time and what makes me say that is that the system in Israel is um is proportional representation so you have many some would say rightfully too many uh parties in parliament and um i don't think that uh, any prime minister in the history of the country has ever won a majority in parliament. So it's always coalition governments. And the prime minister has to um, account for the wishes and you know, political demands of his coalition partners. And I think there's going to be so much pressure, public pressure, um, applied on his future centrist uh, coalition partners i don't think so much on the right and and far right coalition partners but cent- certainly the centrist ones who are um still believers in in the rule of law and in some sort of like you know political decency meaning that a prime minister cannot um you know, it, it's just unfathomable that a prime minister would be a defendant at the same time well, I- so i think that once the uh, an indign- he is indicted in, indicted and there's um a legal battle to be fought i think his coalition uh, would would crumble i think it's it's just i, I don't see how it's sustainable
0: well, it'll be interesting uh, to watch, certainly. Gilad, thank you so much for being on the show. People can find you uh, if they check uh, Tel Aviv Review, Google that uh, on TLV1 or uh, the Tel Aviv Review of Books. Uh, you're on Twitter. Anywhere else uh, that people can, can have a look? Yes, I'm at uh, Gilad underscore helping. Fantastic. Th- thanks so much for uh, spending time with us today and uh, giving us a sense about Israeli culture. Thank you, Benji. Thank you very much. Get help in there from the Tel Aviv Review. We'll be back just after the break. A frequency like no other. 101.9 High FM. Indeed, it is 101.9 High FM. Now, I picked up something interesting on the papers this weekend, uh, and uh, I think it shows some of the shift uh, that we're starting to see in South Africa, and hopefully it is a pattern that we 're going to see more of going forward, because I think it would be uh, very very uh, helpful if it if it did happen late last week, early last week, there was an announcement by uh, clover milk and clover milk you 'll know uh, is a milk uh, brand you know they sell milk and cheese and yogurt and all those things that come from cows and uh, it 's a fairly big thing people know about clover in South Africa and And they got a buyout uh, offer from a group called Milko. Milko is an Israeli... Uh, brand and, and they, they bought a lot of things in Israel and they're also involved with milk and they want to apply a lot of Israeli methods, I think, uh, which are pretty good on milk production to the South African context. They see, uh, good opportunities for expansion and to increase production, um, etc. And it's a big, big number. You know, you're going to buy a whole milk firm. That's not a joke. Uh, they're talking of something. I think it's like 4.8 billion rand. That's with a B, uh, which is something like, in 2017 a third of our foreign direct investment so it would be a big chunk of what we normally uh you know use and pay for uh on on uh on money coming into the country from outside sources and and in addition to the the big chunk of change that they're going to use to pay for this thing uh there's also uh, an additional um, you know, interesting uh, aspect where they are looking to expand, so it's going to create jobs. Obviously, improve the quality of the milk sector in South Africa. So all round good for South Africa, uh, and all good, round good for Israel. And a lot of people saying, you know, this is one of the first big deals that's coming into South Africa. Uh, you know, since Rama coming in, one one financial analyst. Uh, who's quite famous said, you know, this is showing that the smart money is returning to South Africa. It's getting back on its feet. Uh, and, and people who are, are wanting to get in on the ground floor, some good deals are starting to see potential here. Now, of course, uh, immediately jumping on the bag when wagon around this was BDS, uh, unusually. And, uh, you know, they're, they're the normal shtick about, you know, we can't do business with Israel and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they, they're putting a lot of pressure, particularly on, the the employment equity aspect of the of the of the, the the sale. So the guys who are coming in as the black empowerment partners, uh, called Brimstone, and you know trying to push them to to not go through with the deal as usual, threatening, aggressive, the normal BDS approach to life, uh, and and there has been a, you know pushback as usual, and and the unusual quarter that I thought was interesting for me was that In the paper today, or yesterday, there was a message from DIRCO, the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. In other words, the government was saying, guys, we're not backing this This doesn't have to do with President Ramaphosa's view on the world It's not good for South Africa To be boycotting this sort of thing uh, and, and as long as it goes through All the regulatory hurdles The competition commission etc We're going to support this And I think it shows That the government needs uh, To get back on its feet It wants to see investment uh, And it doesn't want to see Things like this blocked uh, By small voices Like the BDS pressure groups uh, And I think we've got to amplify this We've got to say that This is the South African uh, Government talking, uh, supported by the South African Party, and whatever whatever issues they might have with Israel, we've got to do what's good for South Africa, and ultimately, that is engaging with Israel. So I think we need to be telling this to South Africa. We've got to be amplifying this voice, and I think it's very gratifying to see that it's going there, and I do hope that the Clover Milk deal does go through for the sake of uh, South Africa and for Israel and for giving... the. BDS club that they deserve. Bring us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Do appreciate it. Thank you so much to Mandy who helped produce the show, Vusi who does uh, our sound engineering, and of course Craig who pushes all the big red buttons. We'll see you next week on the new Blue Review.